The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anne from Pika Podcast joins me to examine what can be heard behind the vocals of various Pokemon songs. A Small Thing, Pokemon, Blah Blah Blah, and several others all get a close listen in this discussion. We may not have found any secret messages, but it does shine light on some interesting aspects of these tunes, and we think you'll find it revealing as well. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PQE Podcast. And uh, in another intergenerational stop here, uh, we're doing a discussion this time of deconstructing Pokemon songs. So let me sort of explain that just a little bit before we get too far into it. We're going to be listening to some of the background elements of various vocal Pokemon songs in this one. Uh, we Certainly, if you were hoping we were to be doing sort of an analysis of some of more of the structure and like key signatures and stuff like that, uh, unfortunately, that's a little bit beyond, I think, both of our musical knowledge. Uh, the focus here is definitely going to be on sort of background instruments and background vocals and stuff. And just to sort of explain how that works, uh, ever since stuff was started to be produced in stereo, it's been eight, uh, there's been various ways to sort of split that out and listen to individual elements. Now, in the early days of stereo, what they would often do is actually treat the left and right channels as completely separate. They would hard pan stuff so that certain instruments would, and, and vocals and stuff would be completely in the left channel. Others would be completely in the right channel. Um, there's a lot of examples of like the Beatles doing this, if you listen to some of their stuff, once they got into doing stereo audio. Um, and then as you got into later stuff, what would usually happen is the vocals would be panned into the center, uh, along usually with the drums, and then other stuff would be panned to varying degrees to the left and to the right. And that's sort of the, the format that we primarily use nowadays. Um, and so you may be wondering, well, gee, how do you do that? Well, for a while, it's been possible to sort of take the left and right channels and sort of fold them. Uh, you would sort of invert one of them and use that to get just sort of the stuff that's in the left and right channels without any stuff that's in the center. And that would eliminate most of the vocals. You'd still hear a little bit of the echo of the vocals, which would be what we call out of phase, and stuff like that. And that stuff has has sort of matured as time has gone on. Um, nowadays, you have more advanced algorithms that can sort of preserve the stuff on the left and the right in the right and just sort of hollow out the center of the stereo image. And there's even more advanced stuff you can do for music that's released in like a surround sound format. You can do even more advanced stuff, really go in there. We're not going to be quite that detailed. But we're still going to be able to talk about some more of the background instruments and elements and stuff like that because of the sort of processing. And you can totally do this on your own. Most audio editing software has like a karaoke filter or stuff like that. You can totally use the same way we have. So let's sort of talk about the songs we selected. We did try to mostly avoid stuff that has commercially available karaoke or instrumental versions, with one or two exceptions. And we should also mention that 
the fact that we've selected songs, we sort of tried to pick songs that had more interesting background elements that we could pick out more easily this way. Uh, however, that's not really a judgment on the production of the song and stuff like that. There, it's not you know not every song is going to have these kind of deep layering and stuff, but it's not a judgment necessarily on the quality of the various songs uh, we're going to talk about or that we are not talking about. Um, and what were the three songs you picked? Well, I picked Pokemon by Weird Al Yankovic, Chisaki Mono by Asuka Hayashi, and um, the TV song for the eighth season, um, Unbeatable. Okay, well, I picked uh, Have Some Fun with the Funk by Aaron Carter from the first movie soundtrack. Also from the first movie soundtrack, I picked Lullaby by Mandus, a.k.a. Will Ford. And from the second movie soundtrack, I picked Blah, Blah, Blah by Devotion to Music. We're going to have some interesting things to say about that one based on some uh, research I did. But, Anne, we're going to start with one of yours. This is a small thing, or I cannot remember how to say the Japanese, that first word there, but uh, why don't you go into maybe why you picked this and a little bit of your observations there. Yeah, so I picked a small thing, um, the translation of uh, Chisaki Mono. I picked it because this is a, a song that I actually have the sheet music for, and it's kind of fudging that um, no commercially released karaoke thing, because definitely in Japan, that karaoke is all over the place. Um, but because it's a bit less common here, I decided it would be fine. But I, having looked at the sheet music for this song, and like I even made a cover of it once, it's a song that I find very beautiful and has a lot... A lot going on with the background music, um, so I chose to pick it. Yeah, I listened to this after filtering out the, the center channel, like I said earlier, and I, it brought out some of the, the background instruments. There's an organ, there's strings, there's acoustic, and a, a little bit of electric guitar. Yeah. What One interesting thing structurally is it's really just Asuka Hayashi doing the vocals on this, and... I just wanted to mention, I did not get a chance to try this with the English equivalent uh, Make-A-Wish, which is a, a, a semi-translated version. Uh, it takes a fair number of liberties, but it is the same underlying melody and stuff like that. But anyway, going back to a small thing, yeah, it did bring out some of that, but there's, there's not really any like secondary vocals or stuff. It's very much just her doing the main melody and stuff like that. Um, any thoughts on that, Anne? Yeah, so like... Without the vocals, I found myself able to pay a lot more attention to the percussion in this. And it starts out like basically just shakers, like it, it sounds like rain sticks and your maracas or, you know, some kind of shaking type percussion for the most part, right up until that first chorus comes in. And like without the vocals, that transition from the minimalist of like you've just got a little bit of piano, a little bit of, you know, atmospheric synth, a little bit of, you know, shaking for the beat. And then the whole orchestra comes in at that first chorus and it just hits you. I, I found myself really appreciating that contrast. Yeah, there's like just a lot of beautiful little things in the background. Like, I don't think I've ever realized there was an electric guitar in this track until I heard that tiny little bit. Um, and then again, it's not in the foreground, but there's a flute at one point that has a little bit of a counterpoint melody going on. It's like a lot of little flourishes within some very strong and evocative, just basic chords that are very beautiful. Yeah, the electric guitar, I think I might have noticed that before, but it was considerably easier to hear once you sort of bring down the, the vocals like that. Uh, any other sort of thoughts on this one? Um. 
Yeah, just kind of, again, what you said, like, we kind of take for granted kind of sometimes, like, the vocals of songs um, and, like, the harmonies. But once you take it all out of this song, you realize it really is just her. There's, as you say, there's not a lot of backing vocal going on. There's not a lot of harmony that she's providing. It's all in, it's all in the score. And that's, you know, not super unusual necessarily, but it's a, an interesting choice. And, and again, just, it fits the song she's singing where like she is by herself reflecting on her life. It reminds me, one song I considered but did not use for this uh, was uh, The Extra Mile from the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack, the Laura Pacini song. And it gave a similar result. The production there is not quite as lush as what you got with a small thing to kind of a, a similar result there. All right, let's go on to my first pick, which is Have Some Fun with the Funk by Aaron Carter. Now, those of you who follow the podcast feed closely will know that uh, a few months ago, back in uh, the interview, I think it was late September, it was released in early October, but I had an opportunity to interview Paul Umbach, who did some of the engineering and production work on this song. Um, and we got a chance to talk about it. That was sort of an outgrowth of sort of the, the research I did for this uh, discussion. But uh, one reason I, I brought this up, this the song, if you take out you know the, the center vocals, you hear that there's a very much an ethereal sound to some of the, the background, like I guess you could say atmosphere of that. Did, Anne, did you kind of notice that listening to this? Yeah, like I loved the atmospheric synth and like that it got, it seemed to get a bit stronger as they kind of took the location of the song from the street party to the beach. Very much appreciated that. Yeah, it has a, a transportative effect, assuming that's even a word. It sort of does that. Um, and the other thing you kind of notice much more easily there is sort of the backing voices. There is some beatboxing by Aaron and actually uh, James D. Train Williams, who I'm sure a lot of the folks at home will recognize is also one half of the original English poke rap. Um, but you can sort of hear a, a bit a bit of a crowd. It sounds fairly, I guess, multicultural, at least a little bit there. They had about five or six different people in the, in the doing the backing vocals there that you can hear much more clearly when you do this. This is one of the, the main reasons I... I picked this out. I assume you noticed that as well, Anne. I did. Yeah, it wasn't like the thing about the song that stuck out to me the most uh, listening through this, but I definitely, yeah, noticed you can hear a lot more of the the background party sort of feel and a lot of just different voices other than Mr. Carter's going on. Yeah, and, and another thing I noticed is in sort of the, I guess you could call it percussion or drum work, is that during the verses, you can hear this sound that sounds... I think a little bit like a clock. Um, not sure exactly what type of clock uh, or stuff like that, but it, it does sound that. And I think that sort of ties into sort of the line, you know, this party is too short, which is a metaphor both for the sort of the, the song and the party that's going on itself, but also kind of a metaphor for life and that you need to go out and enjoy things. I don't know. Did, did you pick up on that, Anne? I actually didn't pick up on that clock, so I'll have to listen through again. I was a little distracted. Um, cause what I mostly noticed was like, I think this is the first time I actually realized this song had chords and like a key. <laughs> like I, I've always loved this song and paid attention to the beat and the percussion. Um, once I stripped away the vocals though, it was like, oh, you could actually play this song on a piano. Like there are actual, there's like actual music underneath it, not just this fun beat. So I don't know. <laughs> Clearly I was focusing on all the wrong things. And, and I wanted to toss out one thing that's not directly related but um, to our discussion topic, but 
uh, is related to this song. The song, as well as a couple others on the soundtrack, kind of gets a fair bit of flack for not having a ton to do with with the movie. It's not actually used in it. It's not even lyrically all that tied to it. Uh, I just kind of like it because I think it's just a well-produced and written song. I will definitely give it that. I did kind of want to toss out, though, you know, this song takes place at least partially in sort of an urban environment and stuff. Do you think this would have worked well for uh, a year and a half or so later for the third movie, Short, which uh, does take place in a city and stuff like that and has a a bit of a party at the end? Yeah, actually. (laughs) Yeah. That would have worked perfectly, especially because... The the city life we see in that third movie short is kind of down on the street with, like, the people and, you know, everyone just kind of having fun in a back alley sort of thing. When I say people, I mean Pokemon, but the the drift, you know. Yeah, so those were uh, kind of a smattering of things I noticed listening to the background uh, on that particular one. But uh, I think we can go ahead and move on, and let's move to your second pick. This is Unbeatable, the Season 8 theme. And specifically, I think we, we both listened to the TV version, which is only about a minute long, kind of, unfortunately. Uh, I'm not sure if we have a, a good version of the uh, one from the Lucario and the Mystery of Mew that we can can use in there. But um, really, the, the main note I came out with this one was Rock Organ. Uh, and I assume you have some some other thoughts on this one. Yeah, yeah, this is one of my favorite, like, maybe even the favorite of my uh, Pokemon openings. Um, So I picked it mostly because I wanted to have a chance to, like, really figure out what it is about it that, like, fills me with such emotion. Um, One of the things I noticed uh, was there's, like, a fun little agitator right as we're going into the chorus. Like, I noticed a lot of, like, just little things, little sound effects. Like, yes, the chords are very warm and, like kind of just give that rock feel full of energy but when the the tail end of the chorus there's like almost something magical happening with the instrumentation like it becomes very soft and there's like a lot more treble notes and it's like there's a lot of little things going on to this song that make it not just like yeah high energy um ash is full of winning vibes but like it takes you on like different emotional journeys through the course of one very short song. Um, and the, the, the lyrics aren't really the cause of that. It is like these little flourishes and these little extra instruments and sound effects and agitators and mixes and things that I'm, that are making that happen. And I found that very cool. There are some vocals that come out towards the, the end there. It's kind of common for like, these types of songs for the chorus to have more of these sort of background elements, like some of the backing vocals might be widely panned um, or the harmonies or stuff like that. I think there's a little bit of that in here, definitely towards sort of the end there. Uh, any other sort of observations there? Like I said, I definitely noticed the sort of the rock organ uh, a little bit more with, with listening to it this way, but, and, and what kind of, any other thoughts you wanted to share on this one? Well, yeah, to just piggyback off what you said, yeah, like the whoa is like, there are so many layered vocals in there, yeah, and they are not all panned with the melody, so even though you cut out the lyrics, that part still remains, as well as, you know, the main cast um, shouting out advanced battle and things like that, so there's definitely still some vocals in here, even after you remove the main yeah, so kind of in between the the previous two songs we discussed there in terms of what you're going to find in the, in the background elements. 
All right. Well, I think we can move on to my second song, which is Lullaby by Manda, a.k.a. Will Ford. Uh, I think we've sort of run that well dry on, on making, I don't know, I don't want to make too much fun of that. It is just sort of an interesting tidbit that the Bad Girl Pop has a song on the first movie soundtrack. But um, this sort of actually kind of follows from a discussion we did during our Pokemon 25 album discussion last time, that this is a Jigglypuff song. Um, it is, I would say, a fair bit different than Take It Home by Mabel that we discussed in, in, in the previous discussion. What happens here is that uh, when you kind of remove the center channel, which has the, the main vocals, you'll hear sort of the... Uh, all the vocals, I believe, are pretty much done by Manda on this one, but you'll sort of hear the... I guess supplemental is maybe the best way to put it. I put down actually that there's a bit of an enveloping quality. It's mostly on the choruses to the lullaby and so on and so forth. And I found that very interesting and very much sort of reflective of Jigglypuff, even though I'm fairly certain the song was in no way written for that character or with that character in mind. And I assume you kind of noticed that as well. Mm, very much the same. Yeah, the little harmonies or vocal flourishes or whatever you want to call them. Um, kind of appreciating like just all the little sound effects as well to kind of tie it in to Jigglypuff and like just the very R&B nature of this song. You can hear a lot of, of things that you kind of take for granted when when the melody is going on. Yeah, and I also say it has a, a fair bit of a Latin flavor to it, uh, especially with the mm. acoustic guitar and the sort of the, the trilling of, I'm not sure if that's the guitar itself or whatever that you hear, which you can definitely hear when you're listening to the full thing there, but just comes out a little bit more there. And, and to be honest, it, it's not completely dissimilar in, uh, we talked about the transportative qualities of Have Some Fun with the Funk uh, when we talked about that, but uh, this kind of gives the song kind of a, a weightless or floating quality, which also is obviously very in tune uh, with Jigglypuff's sort of movement and appearance and stuff like that. I, I assume, Anne, you also got that out of it. Yeah, and a very dreamy quality, yeah. Yeah, I didn't actually fall asleep listening to this, but I think listening to it this way actually gave me a, a better appreciation of, or, or a better understanding of what it might feel like to be in the anime and have Jigglypuff start singing and start falling asleep and stuff like that. I, I don't know if you if that was your kind of reaction, Anne. Yeah, definitely a mesmerizing quality, for sure. So yeah, it definitely gave me a, a deeper appreciation for a song I already liked quite a bit. Admittedly, Don't Say You Love Me doesn't have much relation to the plot of Pokemon the first movie. At best, you could relate it to Brock, but perhaps that's better left unexplored. Anyway, this debut single from M2M was likely intended to serve as more of a bridge that would raise awareness about the band for the movie audience and the movie for the music audience. If nothing else, it probably generated buzz for the movie in M2M's native Norway. As for the song itself, the assertive tone does wind up being a good fit for the franchise, representing the stand-up-for-yourself theme of the series without sounding excessively angry. This tone carries into the music video, whose drive-in theater setting gives it a more casual feel and, of course, provides a convenient opportunity to work in scenes from the movie. Speaking of the movie, have you ever noticed that the names of the two featured Pokémon line up neatly with the name of the band? Nice bonus, I suppose, but it's obviously not the only reason they were selected. Anyway, do you have any thoughts about this song? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. 
All right, well, let's, let's talk about, Anne. this is your third pick. This is from the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack. This is Pokemon by Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, I'm sure most of our audience is quite familiar with him. We'll have some interesting comparisons in this one, since he usually does a Pokemon medley on each of his albums. But uh, why don't we start with Pokemon itself? Uh, what did you sort of find when you sort of peeled back the, the main vocals on this one? Well, of all the tracks I picked, this is the one that, feels the most involved like it feels like there's just so many instruments and sounds playing counterpoint all on top of each other like if we maybe we if we broke down the actual score i'd find that wasn't actually the case but it feels like so much is going on and i i do love that about this song i don't know if that's typical of polka necessarily but it's it's not just like chords like there's so many flourishes there's so many counterpoint full-on melodies going on and then stripping back the vocals you realize what a wild party is going on in the background with the all the little supplemental vocals for what i can only assume is pokemon having a great time at this at this party so it is a full track and it's like it almost feels more busy once I take out his vocals than when he was actually there. Like, by stripping it away, it almost seems to be more busy and full. And that's a very interesting quality, too. Yeah, polka is definitely a, a very festive music genre that is supposed to bring in, you know, stuff from the crowd and stuff like that. Obviously, a lot of the voices are being done by... I assume there's some stuff from Alice, and there's also some stuff from, like, the other band members, like uh, uh, Bermuda Swartz and uh, some of the other folks... Uh, Jim Kimo West and some other stuff like that. Now, obviously, I mentioned that Al, most of his albums contain some sort of polka medley. I think, well, the most recent one was a standalone one he did of uh, various songs from Hamilton sometime after his last album. But I compared this to uh, the the medleys on the adjacent Weird Al albums. So there's Polka Power off um, Running With Scissors. And then there's also uh, Angry White Boy Polka from uh, Poodle Hat, which was the album that came out a few years after this. But I listened to the same process on those where you remove the center channel, and you hear some of the same stuff. I think, I don't know if it's because Pokemon is a much shorter track. It's only about a little over two minutes, as opposed to the medleys, which tend to be like four or five minutes. Percentage-wise, there's definitely more shouting and other stuff in Pokemon than there is in some of the other ones. Like I said, I don't know if that was just because it was shorter or because it was more focused uh, at kids or stuff like that. Uh, but in comparison to those other ones are a little more, I don't know if sedate's the right word, but a little more, little, they, they go a little less hard over the course of the entire um, medley there. I don't know if you had any particular thoughts. I assume you've heard some of his other polka medleys. I don't know if you had any other thoughts there. I mean, I've heard some of them. Like, I think the whole world heard the Hamilton one. But again, I've, I don't think I've heard listened to him as extensively as you have or to polka in general to make a well-informed comparison. But yeah, I definitely feel like the energy and the the invitation the music gives to like become a part of it and to like add your own little shout of joy or whatever. Um, and that's very exciting. Yeah, I, and and just to be to be complete here, I did consider this song uh, myself as well, but eventually uh, picked something else um, in its place. But I, I'm kind of glad you did pick the, out this one, uh, since it gives us a, a good opportunity for comparison. All right, well, let's move on to my third pick. It's also from the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack. It is Blah 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 
by Devotion to Music. And, uh, you know, since we haven't really covered this song in any way, shape, or form previously, I wanted to go, I think we're going to go a little bit in-depth into some various things we found out about it. Um, I have wanted to track down more information on the various uh, members of this group for a very long time, and I did unearth a little bit more with with this go-around. But I'm not entirely sure. Like I, I think this this group, they have like one or two other songs. They were I, they never got super far. They may be Irish slash Norwegian or whatever. I'm not sure exactly. I've, I've seen so many different names here. I'm not sure which ones are correct. But I do know from a writing perspective, this is uh, partially written by Steve Mack, who also uh, wrote uh, "Flying Without Wings." So this might have been some sort of package deal to get this song or, or something of that nature. It does fall into a bit of a, an interesting subgenre of uh, adults don't get Pokemon, which I, Pokemon is still around, so this song isn't as dated as it could be, but I'm guessing that's not a thing that uh, would really make as much sense right now, now that some of the, the folks who grew up with Pokemon are old enough to have kids. This is, I think, also something thematically that wouldn't make as much sense in Japan. I don't know that there's really an equivalent song for this for a variety of reasons. Like, generational culture gaps definitely exist in Japan. Um, but sort of, you know, making fun of your 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 parents and stuff like that is, is not as common a thing culturally, because that's just kind of how Japan is. And any any comments before we get into the song about that? I mean, certainly making fun of your parents less so in, in from what I've observed, obviously, and then definitely Pokemon specifically less of a thing. But but as you say, the, the generational gap and parents don't understand me is a universal, universal concept. So it's like definitely the flavor of some of the wording of this song would not fly on the um, mainstream pop market, but... Uh, yeah, rest assured, uh, the the punk subversive culture is alive and well in Japan, and, and many of them are frustrated with their parents too. But yeah, definitely, it, it has its own flavor about how they how they sing about it. So, <laughs> I also think that mass market uh, marketing the kids' culture, pop culture type of stuff, goes back a little bit further in Japan. Whereas in America, I think that kind of got started in the eighties and nineties. Uh, it existed somewhat before, but not to the degree it does now. Yeah, I'm not as sure about that. But yeah, definitely that is a thing to consider into the phenomena that was Pokemon when we were kind of first experiencing it, for sure. But as far as sort of the, the sound structure of this, it has sort of a kids taking over the music classroom type of vibe. Um, you can hear a lot of like chatter in the background, especially once you remove sort of the the center channel and stuff like that, and sort of the other folks coming in on the choruses and and things of that nature. I assume all of that was much more apparent when you listen to it this way, right, Anne? Oh yeah, like I got the vibe of like a playground more than taking, but I kind of like the the anarchy of taking over the music classroom. <laughs> Well, a lot of that ties into sort of the instruments that you can hear a little better this way. Like there's a piano, there's an acoustic guitar. There's also, there's some horns, but those are actually center panned in the mix. So they actually do get kind of dropped out when you do it this way. But uh, it's it's mostly instruments that you would find in a in a more typical school setting rather than some more exotic stuff that you wouldn't hear that way. 
So that was kind of why I, I sort of mentioned that one. I also noticed, I had mentioned earlier that there might be, the singers might have an Irish or Norwegian background. In the backing vocals, once you bring those out more, you can hear a little bit of more of an accent in those voices and stuff like that. And did you notice that at all? A, a little bit. I wasn't quite sure, so I didn't put it in my notes, though. But as you say, if they might be um, of another country, like the the people that they hired to do the backing vocals or the band members themselves, yeah, very easily could have an accent. And that's a very interesting little flavor. Yeah, There are pictures of some of the folks who presumably did sing this. If you look at some of the devotion to music, like you can find some of their like single covers. I don't think they put out a full album, but they had a couple singles out there. Interestingly, it is sometimes abbreviated to D2M, which... Given one of the acts that was on the first movie soundtrack, I can kind of see why they would spell it all out uh, for the second movie soundtrack just to avoid any confusion there. They look to be like either like high school or young adult women at the time, of course. This was recorded like 20 years ago. Um, and I actually kind of do have to wonder if now that they're old enough, I think some of the folks in the, the names I looked up do have kids, if uh, they've used this song against their mom to say, well, it's three <laughs> o'clock now. I can play Pokemon, right? <laughs> I I hope so. I mean, I, I I obviously want them to be living their best life and not have their kids sassing them, but that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to see like what what their perspective is on on having a song on a Pokemon CD like several years later into the future. This is not a band that we have a lot of um, interviews or media coverage with, so. Yeah, it's kind of almost a one-off. Like I said, they have a, a single with a song called Romeo, and it has a B-side called like Shockaboom. Um, so if you do a, a search, you will find a little bit of information on them, but a little thin on like actual names and stuff. I have a couple I'm working on to hopefully find out more in the future. I do hope I can find out more about this. But uh, one thing I did find is that not unlike another song on the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack, they don't understand... This song has a, I guess you call it a non-Pokemon or alternate version that exists out there, which I suspect was the original version that was written. Um, I'm not totally surprised. I was a little bit interested once I found out that they had produced that alternate version and recorded it, and someone got a hold of it and posted it to YouTube. Uh, it doesn't have a ton of views. I suspect that the the Dream Street one, the alternate version of that is... It just has more interest because Dream Street uh, did a lot more. They put out a full album, and they're just a better-known group, with, uh, especially with Jesse McCartney having a bit of a solo career and whatnot. But uh, Devotion to Music, not so lucky. But uh, we did actually find this, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, and I I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I definitely listened to it. It's very cute. I feel like adding the Pokemon layer almost gives the song a little more depth. And, and like, I don't know, it just makes it slightly more charming. But yeah, like uh, much of it seems the same. It's just the lyrics have changed. Um, but it's kind of just that vibe of like, again, my my parents don't get me. I want to have some fun. I'm, you know, teacher, get off my back. I'm doing my best. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be here. <laughs> but yeah, I do think the Pokemon aspect just kind of adds a bit more specificity to the situation. And as they say, specificity is the soul of narrative. So yeah, specificity is a good word to use there because it, it definitely the Pokemon version has more focus. And, and I think they did a pretty good job of integrating some of the stuff in there. 
Uh, I had mentioned that the song could come across as a bit dated. Uh, they do mention Game Boy in there. I guess you, I don't think you could do the same thing with like Nintendo Switch. Um, <laughs> But the the Pokemon version focuses much more like the choruses start a little bit differently in, in parts of the of the non Pokemon version, whereas in the Pokemon version, you know, I can wait till three, then I'll be free and back playing Pokemon is is how they all go. So there's definitely more of a um, uh, a school aged child uh, focus on there, whereas the the non version says, you know, like I need to get out and do stuff and and other stuff like that. I definitely strongly recommend taking a listen to it because it is interesting. You know, I think the 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 Pokemon version is more focused. I think it is honestly the the non Pokemon version. I think I don't know. It's not terrible or anything, but it's not the most interesting sort of question or rebel against authority song out there. And I think having the Pokemon Edge gives it a little something there. So definitely take a listen. Uh, we'll try to include a, a link somewhere. Uh, I think the best way to find it on YouTube is just to search "devotion to music" with the number two in quotes. For that whole thing, and you'll you scroll down a little bit, and you'll find it there. But definitely an interesting find. And I, I'm kind of glad we got an opportunity here to sort of talk about it. Very well produced song, though, and, and the background elements add a fair bit of flavor and, and depth to it. Just on that end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think one of the main takeaways from this is you get very different results depending on the songs you pick. Some of the songs we picked had. Uh, very much, you know, lots of little uh, vocal and instrumental things in the, you know, the left and the right channel that were much easier to hear this way. Others, we just sort of appreciated sort of the the atmosphere of them a little bit more um, and, and various degrees in between. I think, Anne, that, that might be one of your takeaways as well. Yeah, like definitely, as I mentioned earlier, like some of these songs I picked because they moved me in some way, but I couldn't always articulate why. So being able to go back and take away the lyrical part of it helped me to kind of just appreciate all the little things happening musically that uh, made this song so special to me. And that was wonderful. And then what would you say is sort of the most interesting or impressive thing you you found with one of these? You can pick a couple if you'd like to, but... um... Well, Fun with the Funk, Chisaki Mono, and... Pokemon, I think, are the three that, like, were the most surprising to me. Um, that, like, I felt like I was really seeing the song with new eyes kind of thing um, and noticing a lot of things I didn't before and felt like they had so much going on that I had never really seen. So in that sense, I think those three were the most surprising in that way. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with that. Uh- yeah, in particular, the uh, the backing vocals and the crowd noise or the crowd singing on Have Some Fun With The Funk is, is something that was much easier to hear and kind of a big surprise. And one of the reasons, actually, I decided to do this discussion in the first place is that that was an interesting find. And I was like, what else can I, can I hear and listen to and stuff like that? So you're never quite sure exactly what you're going to find in there, uh, which is always a little bit fun. And to experience a song in, in a new way is always pretty neat. So we may well do this again. If you want to try this on your own, if you find anything interesting, go ahead and let us know. We may uh, revisit this topic at some time in the future. All right. So yeah, I've got some feedback to go over here. Uh, Just a reminder, if you ever have a comment on one of our things here, you can always drop us a line at pokepress at gmail.com, or you can always try and contact me on Twitter uh, at pokepress or any of the other places like leaving a comment on a video. But in any case, we have a couple to go over, so let's take a look at our first one here. 
So this is an excerpt uh, from a previous discussion. This was from our insert a Pokemon song into a, a movie or something else thing. This was from uh, our discussion of bringing I Am a Collector into Pokemon, uh, the second movie. And uh, this excerpt I pulled out was, uh, does Pokemon 2000's Lawrence III, which is the name of the human bad guy in that movie, he's never said it on screen, but that is canonically the name of it in the dub version at least, remind you of anybody? So in this excerpt, I sort of compare him to like a social media or tech company CEO, specifically Mark Zuckerberg. We got a comment from Charles Carpenter that says, I think he'll make a return in the World League and Pokemon Journeys, and he might be a leader in Team Break. So that first part there, I'm not so sure about Pokemon Journeys. I have been, I need to binge that a little bit more and get a little closer to current on that one. As far as being a leader in Team Break, I believe that is that certainly originates in the uh, Pokemon Masters mobile game. And have you had a chance to play that? Um, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, you probably should. It has some actually really great music. So in, in a year or two, yeah, when we finally do we get to that doing... entry, uh, you know, uh, on the course we're going here, uh, I certainly look forward to talking about a lot of this stuff in that. They've done some very interesting things in that game there. But the sort of the structure of that game is that there's a bunch of human characters, and each of them has a partner Pokemon. Uh, it's called like a sync pair or something like that. So when like the first movie remake came out, they did Giovanni and Mewtwo in there. Um, I guess the uh, the suggestion here is they'd be doing like a sync pair between like Lawrence the Third and Lugia or something like that. Um, they do all sorts of special stuff. Some some people appear in there multiple times and stuff like that with different Pokemon. But that could be kind of interesting, although I'm not sure they've done anything. Like, they haven't brought Tracy in there, who's another, you know, anime-only character in there. Tracy and Meryl would be kind of interesting, or Tracy and Scyther or something like that. They haven't done anything like that in the app there. But that might be a kind of interesting thing. Any, any thoughts there? I know you're not super familiar with the gameplay and stuff, but... Well, I'm not, but I appreciate Charles Carpenter saying this so full of confidence, and, like, I don't know the story of um, the mobile app game, but, like, if you're making a connection to Zuckerberg and and the like, and this is a mobile app game like that, might, like, and his, like, idea of, like, Pokemon are not individuals with their own rights and thoughts and feelings, but they are just things to collect for, and that's how I will make the world a better place this might be the place to put him and or and maybe pokemon journeys has a storyline that would work really well with that so i'm open i'm open to this uh this new direction i if i ever talk to the pokemon company i'll tell them to call you and <laughs> yeah so kind of an interesting set of ideas there i mean it would be kind of interesting to see him again mm -hmm. he has like a brief cameo in the credits of the the fifth movie the latias and latios movie he does show up briefly in an, like an encyclopedia entry or something like that there, but otherwise you don't you don't see too much of him. So I'm not sure if if maybe the folks behind the anime don't have any interest or the franchise or stuff. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, I sort of I sort of view Pokemon 2000 as sort of having a, a commentary on like extractive economics and stuff like that. But in any case, let's go on to our second comment that we have here. So this is, uh, I think it's from like 2012. This is a review I did of the uh, Blu-ray Pokemon Collection. So what this is, in case you're not familiar, 
is that this is the four where you know, have come to be called the Miramax movies. So these are movies four through seven. So that's the Celebi movie, the Latios and Latias movie, the Deoxys movie, and the Jirachi movie. I got those last two out of order, but you get the idea. These were the four that were distributed by Miramax back in the zeros. Um, and they've sort of been in a state of kind of limbo. It's not too difficult to find a, like a DVD release of these movies. Um, but Hyatt Gray says, uh, these films were always cursed to be out of print and re-released so many times, which is, is, is true. You can find them like on, on a DVD collection if you know where to look. Um, this Blu-ray, unfortunately, hasn't been reprinted in a while, so it's kind of hard to find and stuff like that. There's also like a, a Latias and Latios and Deoxys Blu-ray set, a uh, two-movie set that also is out there. Um, but unfortunately, they haven't come around. My sort of comment there is, yeah, these have bounced around a lot. And Hyatt did get back to me. Um, I think I've read this elsewhere as well, is that the rights to these movies, I think, currently belong to Paramount, but I'm not sure that they have, like, digital distribution. So I don't know if these can show up on Paramount Plus or something like that. It would be nice. I, I guess unlike, like, the first three movies, Pokemon hasn't been able to, like, buy back the rights or whatever to it with these like they have with those. I don't know, Anne, any comments on the sort of the rights status of these four movies? Um, not on the rights status. Like, I mostly just have nostalgia comments. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it, it is just very odd. Like, and I think it contributes to kind of that kind of blank era in, like, the Pokemon fandom where... Like, after Johto, like, you either had the diehards who stayed with it or the the people who kind of lost interest and fell off. I definitely think, like, the inavailability of some of the media, like, could play a part in that. Just, like, if you can't find it, you can't watch it and rediscover it and fall in love with it again. But Yeah, and, and one of the songs we talked about today, you know, a small thing, is from one of those movies, Movie 6, the Jirachi movie, which... Is, is kind of a shame. Um, so mm-hmm. hopefully at some point these become a little easier to get a hold of, but we'll see if and when that happens. All right, well, that does it for our feedback for this discussion. However, you know, it, it's been a little while since we've had these, all the, the movie and, and the Pokemon 25 album and this discussion. been a little while since we actually covered a side game, but we are going to be getting back on that. Uh, we're going to be resuming with the side games of Generation 4, the Diamond and Pearl Generation, which I guess is a little bit appropriate since the, we're recording this. It's a month or two after the remakes came out. But the first side game in that generation is Pokemon Battle Revolution for the Wii. So, yeah, this is sort of a follow-up to, well, in, in some ways it's more like the stadium games on the N64, but in terms of production, it's genius sonority, so it follows very much from Colosseum and Gale of Darkness in terms of you know, the people behind it, but not so much in terms of the structure. And it's also kind of the last of its kind, because it's kind of the last game we got like this. So um, we'll have some interesting things to discuss there. I, I don't know, Anne, how much experience you had with this particular title. A little bit, but not not a ton. By the time I got a Wii, most, like, we were already, like, moving into the Wii U and the Switch. So I'm, I'm always late to the party on these games. But I have played it before, so. Yeah, so, so definitely going to be have some interesting stuff to talk about there. But until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Pokepress Digest podcast. 
We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Some of the background elements like uh, are actually not that hard to, to pick out because this the song does make very heavy use of panning, which you know obviously gives it a, means it still has a lot of things going on when you remove the center channel. I'm not sure exactly where I wanted to go, but I just sort of wanted to point it out. I don't know, Anne, if you had any follow up on that particular point. I mean, not much. Like I do remember, like this is kind of in the generation of songs on my players and Walkmans and things where if my headphones started to get old and short out, like this is one of the ones where I would hear a significant, like, you know, the left earbud's not working. Now I can't hear vocals or now I can't hear this instrument or something. So definitely hard panning is part of that. I forgot to mention kind of earlier, if you try to do this with like a low bit rate MP3, this process of removing the, the center channel, it actually doesn't work out that great because those algorithms that do that compression tend to remove out uh, stuff that you're not supposed to hear, which in this case is some of the stuff we're trying to listen to here. It works best if you'd use like a straight up lossless rip from like a CD or something like that. Uh, but going back to Unbeatable, if this were for some other media franchise that had not stood the test of time, this song would sound extraordinarily dated. Like Pogs or something? <laughs> like. <laughs> And I had kind of wondered if there is an original version, was there like a sport involved, like basketball or something? But it, it turns out it, it's 